last time we're going to see Zechariah in this, in this study. This is, this is the last appearance he makes, and um, understandably so, because as we studied, as we've learned so far, he's an old man. He's not going to live much longer. And so I was trying to study, did, did some research this week, trying to figure out what happened to Zechariah. It's like, where is he now that all of this has happened? And um, there, there is no definitive answer to that question. There are some some different traditions that say that he, you know, that he was buried or that he died not long after this. Some traditions say that he, he died right around, you know, 1 B.C. or right after uh, everything kind of changed there, right after Jesus was born. Um, some, some have him living just a little bit longer than that. There are some cute, confused people on Wikipedia that said that Zechariah was, uh, was the one that Jesus was talking about when he talked about Zechariah being murdered outside of the temple, but that wasn't this Zechariah, that was the prophet Zechariah that Jesus was talking about. So if you read Zechariah and Matthew and you come across that later, remember that's a different Zechariah. But, but where is Zechariah now? What, what happened to him? And you know, we just have to kind of, we kind of have to guess and think, and the best answer, the best clue we have to where, where he ended up is verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. That's the most information we have about, about Zechariah. Was, was John the Baptist uh, with his parents when he was out in the wilderness growing up, or, or did he go out and, and uh, live with the people who lived out in the wilderness and they raised him? We don't really know all of the answers. Was, was he raised maybe a little bit in town by his parents before he went out to the wilderness and learned some of the things? Was he, was he completely separated from all of that? There's just some things that we don't have the, the actual complete answers to. So, so um, we just kind of have to move on from that question. And unfortunately for me, that's, that's one of the things that, that sometimes bothers me is when you ask questions that don't have answers, right? It's when you know, I, like to, I like to be able to find and discover and dig and find the truth of something when, I, when I'm studying something like this. But sometimes there are just things that, that don't have answers, and we have to trust God when that happens that it's not there for a reason. We don't need to know what ended up happening to Zechariah. If it was important for us, God would have inspired the authors to include it in their writing of the text, but that is not the case. And so we're just going to trust God that that's not something we need to know. But I do want to look at, before we move on to kind of my main point this morning, I want to look at his, his song that he shared. Because remember, he went from, like the scripture said that we just heard, he, he had been deaf and mute. He, had, he couldn't hear and he couldn't talk for at least nine months, for the whole time of, of the pregnancy that Elizabeth was pregnant. And so he had no ability to communicate or understand or hear and converse with other people. And so as he receives that ability, as God gives that back to him after, after he was obedient to God's word, this is the song that comes out of his mouth. And it's really obviously inspired because of the content of it. So I want to just go through it a couple of a couple of these verses and point out a couple of things because what's happening here is Zechariah is actually singing the song and quoting from a lot of different texts in the Old Testament that were prophecies about what was actually taking place in their lives at the moment. And so he's going back because he's a priest, he knows a lot of the old what we call the Old Testament. And so he's going back and he's pulling some of those prophecies that are going to be fulfilled as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit and he's sharing those as they're going to be fulfilled right now in this moment and in the few years to come. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people 
And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And that, verse 69, is quoted and it comes from two places. Psalm 132, verse 17, which says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamb for my anointed. And Ezekiel 29, verse 21, says, On that day I will cause a horn to spring up for the house of Israel, and I will open your lips among them, and then they will know that I am the Lord. By the way, I'll share this with us on, with you on Facebook so you can just download this if you want to go research these a little bit further. But I just wanted to kind of give you a big picture idea that, that Luke, remember, Luke is doing this investigating Jesus, and he's trying to pull together all the information to show that Jesus was who he said he was. And so here he is using Zechariah's song to help illustrate the fact that, that the prophecies that were made hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene were, in fact, fulfilled in Jesus Christ coming to the earth. Verse 70 says, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from long ago, that's from Jeremiah 23, verse 5, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So uh, Zechariah is referring back to Jeremiah saying this was going to happen. Verse 72 says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And that's found in Micah chapter 7, verse 20 says, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us is found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 16, it says, and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. That was the promise that, that where God was making the promise to Abraham, Father Abraham. And verse 76 says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, talking about his son, John the Baptist. It says, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. And that comes from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts just talking about exactly how things did, in fact, unfold, that the messenger came, and that was John the Baptist, and he prepared the way before Jesus Christ, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Verse 78 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. That comes from Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. One translation says like well-fed calves. Verse 79 is to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That comes from Isaiah chapter 9 and 59. Isaiah 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And in 59, verse 9 says, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. And Jesus did, in fact, come into the darkness and shine the light. And then even verse 80, Luke's statement about what was taking place. This is not a part of the song. This is, just, this is just Luke's commentary on what happened with John the Baptist. That is fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway 
for our God. And so John the Baptist going out into the desert to prepare for his ministry that he would have that that Zechariah described was also a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah that was written hundreds of years in the past. And in fact, it has been said that, that, that if what are the chances that one person and Jesus Christ could fulfill all of these prophecies. And, and I, I think I've explained this to you before, but in short, they, they just did a scientific study, a scientific experiment, mathematical analysis of, of the likelihood of somebody fulfilling these prophecies. And they said, what's the likelihood of, of one person just fulfilling 10 of the prophecies that were made about Jesus? And, and they likened it to, to taking you know, a target and putting it several hundred light years on the other side of the universe and from here being able to shoot an arrow that goes from the earth all the way to this target and hitting it on the bullseye. That, that's, those are the chances that, that one person could fulfill all of these prophecies. There are just 10 of these prophecies, and yet there are over 300 prophecies about Christ that were fulfilled in his coming to earth. And so, so Jesus Christ was, in fact, the Messiah, and we're going to see Luke illustrate that point more and more as we go through his, through his story, his sharing of the story of Jesus Christ. So always have your, you know, your magnifying glass, your investigating eyes out looking for why is Luke including these details because they're there for a reason. But I want to get back to Zach. Here we have Zach who, who had been a priest, you know, as, as, long as, as long as we know about his history, he, his whole life been, had been a priest, and he had religious duties, and he taught, and, and he kind of had this journey of a righteous man. He was a, a righteous person. That's how he's actually described in the text as someone who was righteous, and, and so he had that, that, that marker, and he had spent his life serving God. He had, had kind of gone through his life serving the people in his community as their priests and also performing other religious duties as a priest. And he had this, this life where he served God and, and he knew a lot about God, right? I mean, he knew more than the people would have known about God because he would have been studying since the time, since he was a young boy, he would be learning the things of God. And yet he had this struggle that kind of epitomized his life where he and his wife were unable to have a child and They prayed, as we read in Scripture, that they had been praying probably their whole lives and probably had even gotten to a point of saying, this probably isn't going to happen for us. And then the angel comes in and and grants this this prayer request that they had been hoping and longing for, for literally decades, for tens and tens and tens, since the time they were married, probably until the present time that 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 promise came. They had been hoping for a child for all of this time, and probably went through seasons of, of wondering, why aren't we able to do this? Why, why is this happening to us? Why are we not getting what we desire? Why aren't we, I mean, we're faithful, right? We're, we're faithful to God and his promises. We're faithful to teach like we're supposed to teach and to, to serve like we're supposed to serve. And, and yet this still was a promise or a hope that was unfulfilled for them. And they prayed and prayed. And then, and then the angel comes. Remember, the angel comes and says, you're going to have a child, your prayer is going to be answered. The thing you've been hoping for all of your life is going to be answered. And how did Zach respond? Well, he responded with doubt, right? He, he didn't believe what the angel said. And, and so because of his doubt, the angel silenced him. He said, because of, because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak until these things have happened. 
don't know if you've ever worn, you know, the, the noise-canceling headphones. I wear them from time to time working on projects around the house and probably should wear them more often than I do, but, you know, but you put those on and, you know, you're kind of isolated from the world, right? But you can still hear things. Well, imagine, imagine having those on and not being able to hear anything, not being able to have any understanding like you had known. You had been your whole life listening and, and hearing things and then being able to use your voice and, and your mouth to speak things. And now that was gone. And it wasn't just like when we get sick. It wasn't just like, like you know, we got, got a cold and so we lost our voice for a few days, maybe even a week or two. And maybe you've been there. You know how frustrating it can be to not be able to talk when you don't have a voice. But this was months. This was the entire length of Elizabeth's pregnancy. It was before she got pregnant until after the baby was born. So at least nine months, maybe longer, maybe 10 to 11 months that he was just unable to speak or hear. get trapped inside your own head, right? And you start, you start talking to yourself, start saying things to yourself. You have this inner monologue, right, that, that just takes you in all these weird places. And if anyone knew what was going on in your head, you know, they'd probably be just astounded that, that you know, can't believe, he, can't believe he really doubts. Or, you know, maybe you, know, you imagine Zachariah's inner monologue, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's doubting as he's not being able to talk. We don't know what he was thinking during that time, but not being able to speak or hear. He's just gone through a great trial. He's just gone through a very difficult season of his life where this thing he had been hoping for was actually going to come to pass, and yet through the the experience of it, he was not able to hear or speak. Through the experience of it, he wasn't really, other than with his eyes, being able to see that his wife was, in fact, pregnant. He wasn't able to engage on a meaningful level with this miracle that God was performing. It's a pretty low time, I would think. I, mean, I would think you know, Zechariah would probably be down. He would be discouraged. He might even be depressed. And then all of a sudden, in this one moment, after he writes down on that tablet, remember the wax tablet, he writes down, his name is John. And at that moment, we read that, that now he all of a sudden receives his ability to speak and hear again. Another miracle had been performed, except this time it gave him back what he had lost. And now he's able to, to interact with what is going on around him. And, and what is his response when he has his hearing back? His response is praise. His response is this amazing song. It's called the Song of Zechariah. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And on it goes. But I want to ask, and I've been asking myself this question. If we had gone through the same thing, how would we respond? How would you respond if you, know, if you had been hoping for something your whole life and then you doubted and then God just struck you with silence and, and cut off your ability to hear? How would you respond when you all of a sudden get that back and it's, you know, it's after everything has happened and now you have the baby? Maybe we'd be angry, right? We, we might, some of us might be upset. That, 
Now, now that I have a voice, God's going to get an earful about all the things that he did to me. What a horrible thing he did. Or maybe we're just like, okay, I got my voice back. We're just going to move on. Everything is normal again. But would our response be to worship God? I mean, Zechariah's response was, was worship. Would our response be worship, or what would our response be? Remember, this happened to him in the first place because he didn't believe, and so he started this whole journey with doubt. And so it seems like he might come out of this in a different direction than, than we thought or than we, than we see what actually took place. But he came out with worship. Worship. He responded to the trial with worship. But why did this, I mean, why did this happen to Zachariah? I mean, it's because he didn't believe. Well, we probably would say, well, God must, probably didn't really love Zachariah, right? I mean, if God loved Zachariah, he wouldn't have been so hard on him. If God really loved Zachariah, he wouldn't have responded. That's not a loving way to respond. I mean, come on, God, can't you be more gracious than that? Can't you be more loving than that? I mean, why would you discipline him for not believing? I mean, if God really loved Zachariah, he wouldn't have made him wait until he was this old to have a son. If God really loved him, he would have been able to have a son like normal people. So God must not love Zachariah. I mean, after all, Zachariah had given his whole life in service to God, right? I mean, he was a priest. He devoted his life to serving God. He spent his days teaching people and doing priestly things. From his perspective and probably ours, we would say, he didn't really deserve to be treated like that. What kind of God treats people like that? What kind of God treats the priest who had served people his whole life and devoted his life to serving God like that? And I think we do the same thing. I know I do. We say things like, if God loved me, he wouldn't make me do this or that. Right? I mean, if God really loved me, he, a God who loved me wouldn't make me do that. And if God really loved me, he wouldn't make me do something I don't want to do. He would just let me do what I want to do. That's, I mean, that's, that's love, right? I mean, if God loved me, he would just give me what I really want. That's, you know, if God really loved me, I, I would just ask for something and God would give it to me. That would be how it works. And that, I mean, isn't that what the, what, the, what the Bible says? I mean, ask for it and you will receive. And so I'm asking for things and, and God's not giving them to me. Why isn't God giving me what, I'm, what I want? It must be because God doesn't love me. If God really loved me, if he, if he loved me like he says that he loves me, would he, would he really let me go through this? If God really loved me like he says that he loved me, would he let me walk through this valley? Would he let me walk through this struggle and this trial and this ongoing stress and pain and hardship? But what if love is more... What if love is more than that? What if love is more than what we think 
about our situation from our current vantage point? What if love is, is more than our ability to see things and our understanding of how things are in the present? What if, what if love is more than that? That's, well, it's kind of like seeing in black and white when we were designed to see in color, right? We, we were designed to see the world in color, and that, I know there are people that don't always see the world that way, but the best example I can come up with, I don't know if any of you um, watched old TV shows like the Andy Griffith show. Anyone watch the Andy Griffith show? Yeah, we, 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 were, we watched the, I mean, we watched the snot out of the Andy Griffith show growing up. That was just like every day. Every day we watched the Andy Griffith show. And every day we watched the Waltons. The Waltons was in color though, so it's not really part of this illustration. Anyone know what the, anyone watched the Waltons? Anybody? Okay, good. I say that sometimes if you're like, Waltons, what are you talking about, you weirdo? Must be some southeastern Ohio redneck thing. But no, it was a, a popular TV show. But, you know, there were all these old TV shows that were filmed you know, in black and white. Back when they had film, and they filmed them in black and white. But then as technology kind of continued to move on and adapt, there was this, this thing that happened, right? Color TV came out. And, and they started broadcasting shows in color TV, but there was still all this stuff in black and white. But then over the years, they went back and, and colorized a lot of the versions of the old TV shows, right? You remember that? And so now, if you watch Andy Griffith on TV, a lot of the episodes are in color. They, they kind of went, which is a process that's really baffling to me. I mean, they'd like go back and like color on the, like use a crayon. I don't know exactly how you colorize black and white, but, you know, they must have had a way to do it. But, you know, so, but then, you know, you go and watch these shows that you're used to watching in black and white, and as you're watching this show in color, you start to realize, wow, this, this world is a lot more colorful than it ever was in my mind, right? I mean, I mean, the houses are colors, right? When, when they show the outside of a house, it's not just white, Right? It looks white in, in the show, but it's, it's actually, you know, yellow or brown or blue or all of these different colors. And, and, you know, Andy Griffith's sitting out on his porch, you know, playing his guitar and drinking sweet tea and smoking a cigarette. And there are those flower bushes right in front of the house, right? Those were actually color. It's crazy, right? I mean, I always, you know, you think of them as just black and white flowers, but they're, they're, they're roses. They're pink and they're, they're red and they're blue. And, and even, even the jail where he worked, or the courthouse or whatever you call it, the, the walls actually had color on them. They weren't just white walls with, with a black bar. You, know, there, you saw things that you had never seen before because now it was in color. The, the cars had color. The light on the car on the police car was actually a red light, not just a kind of a grayish light that spun around. But then there's, a, there's something else that is interesting. You all know I love It's a Wonderful Life, what, like favorite movie of, of all time probably. It's, it's at the top of the list. It's in an, in an echelon all its own. There, there are very few movies that are, that are as good as It's a Wonderful Life. And if you don't agree with me, you're just wrong. But they, they did the same thing. They took It's a Wonderful Life, this classic movie, and they colorized it. And you know what happened? People wouldn't watch it. 
they put the color version on TV. It was like, you know, 20 years ago, and they put the color version on TV, and, and they, they watch it, and they said, this isn't It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. It's black and white. You don't mess with It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life is always in black and white, and you colorize it, and you mess with our tradition, so we're not going to watch it. And people actually didn't watch it on TV, so now they have gone back, and they actually air the black and white version of It's a Wonderful Life because they want people to watch it. And it's, I think, an amazing picture of us. It's like God wants us to see in color, and God has created this whole world of color for us to experience. But we kind of see things in black and white, and every once in a while, God will come in and he'll kind of show us little pops of color in different parts of our life about how things could be this way or how things could be that way if we would just trust him a little bit more. But, but we don't trust him because we're comfortable with the black and white, and you don't mess with the black and white. It's like got this whole world that's better, but we prefer what we already know. We prefer life from our vantage point, and we don't understand that God actually has a much better picture of our lives from where he sits. So when we only look at our lives from our perspective, we are extremely limited. From our perspective, what we can see at best is black and white. At best, it's black and white. There, there's no color in our ability to see. But God, when he comes into the picture, all of a sudden we're starting to see color. And, and God doesn't just want us to see color like the Andy Griffith color. He wants us to see the vibrant color of the life that he has for us that's you know, ultra 4K, high definition color like we've never seen before. But it kind of comes back to that question, do we trust God to take us where we're going to be able to see that kind of life? So God presently sees more for our lives than we currently see, but do we trust him to take us where, where we could be experiencing more? Or are we going to just kind of keep things in our own hands and, and control things from where we sit so that we at least know things are somewhat predictable? Let me ask, if, if there's someone that can see something better for you but does nothing to help you see it, is that loving? If I'm walking with you and, you know, and I'm growing in a relationship with you and, and I see things about you and you see things about me and you see something better for me but you never share that with me, is that really loving me to let me just kind of stay on the way that I've been? Or is it loving for me to just notice these things that if you did this or that, it would help? If someone can see something better for us, if somebody can see a better future, a more, a more colorful, more Christ-like future for our lives, but doesn't do anything to help us see it, is that loving? I I don't know. I think maybe it's not loving to let us continue on. And could it be that some of the most powerful love we receive from God is when he is adjusting the signal into our lives so that we can see more than we could before? You remember the old days you, you had the you had the antenna, right? You know, and, and you kind of had to you had to adjust the antenna 
from channel to channel. We lived down in southeast Ohio, and when we had an the antenna, we had a couple of channels that we picked up from down in West Virginia, so we'd have to have the antenna pointed in that direction, and there were a couple other channels that we got from Columbus, so the antenna would have to be pointed in that direction, and if the antenna was pointed towards Columbus when we're trying to get the picture from West Virginia, it didn't come in very well, but if we stopped and we refocused the signal and got the antenna lined up where it was supposed to be, then the signal would come in more clearly, and Maybe that's what God is trying to do with us as we walk through some of these trials and these valleys and these struggles. Is, no, I can see more for you if you, would just, if you would just take your focus off of this thing and bring it here to me. I can see more for you if you would, if you would just stop stressing about this thing and, and bring it back here to me where I was hoping it would be. And maybe it's our doubt, maybe it's our disbelief that we don't really think God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. And so we are more content to just keep controlling our black and white world. But God is desperate for us to experience the color that he's laid out for us. If we could learn to let God show us what he has for us and take us where he wants us to go, if we could humble ourselves, that's a hard one. Just ask Zachariah. If we could humble ourselves and let God lead us from his vantage point instead of trying to lead God from our vantage point, if we could if we could trust that he actually has our best interest in his heart for us. And sometimes his best interest in his heart for us is going to require rerouting us from the direction and the path that we're currently on. If we could gain God's understanding just a little bit and God's perspective just a little bit on our lives, you know what I think would happen? I think we would respond like Zechariah did. I think if we, could, if we could humble ourselves and, and just trust God that who he is and, and what he is doing is for our benefit, that he's seeking our best and our favor and all that he is doing, whether, whether good or bad, whether easy or hard, God is trying to lead us into a better understanding of him and our relationship with him and our pursuit of him, that, that if we could just humble ourselves and understand that he is working things out for our good and for our benefit and that he's not out there to harm us and, or to or to trip us up or to cause us to stumble, but that he actually wants to see us grow in our relationship with him and, and succeed as we grow in him, then, then I think our overwhelming response would be, God, you are amazing. God, you are awesome. I have no other response but to say, you know what, God, I worship you with all of my heart. I'm going to humble and bow myself before my Lord, my maker, because he is the mighty God. I think our response would be a lot more like Zachariah and a lot less like what we normally experience in our lives think we would overflow with worship. That's what we see happened here in this first chapter. God took people who were on very different paths and he rerouted them and their response, all of them, was worship. Elizabeth's response when Mary showed up, she said, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary's response was, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And Zechariah's response is, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
It's because God loves us that these things occur in our lives. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe it's because God loves you that you're walking through the trial that you're walking through. It's because God loves you that, that he's got you in this season, that he's got you in this valley because he, he sees more for your life. And as long as we continue in our own ability and our own striving on the direction that we're heading, we're never going to experience more of him in our lives. We have to be broken of some old habits and patterns and actually start to walk the way God wants us to walk. I know this is true from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, consider him, this is Hebrews 12, verse 3 through 11. Consider him, talking about Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you, we, us, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So think, keep Jesus in mind. Think about Jesus right now as we talk about this. Consider Jesus who endured for us such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now listen, listen to what he's going to say. The author of Hebrews says, In your struggle against sin... You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus shed his blood. We've not resisted yet that far. It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? It says, my son, do not regard, regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't, take, don't be lighthearted about God's discipline towards us. Don't be weary when he reproves us, when, when he corrects us. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. See, it is for discipline that you have to endure because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father has not disciplined? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons at all. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God disciplines us because he loves us. God disciplined Zechariah because he loved Zechariah. He had a much bigger plan for Zechariah than Zechariah ever knew that he had. From Zechariah's vantage point, he was just a priest who had a function to perform. He didn't realize that he was going to be the father of the one who had been prophesied, who would come and literally prepare the way for the Messiah to come onto the scene. He didn't know that. And God had something better for him, but sometimes he has to discipline us to get us to really see what he has for us. Sometimes we have to go through struggles and trials and journeys. And sometimes I think we, we get the wrong idea that God doesn't love us because of the trial. But what if we changed our perspective when we're walking through trials and hardships and, and, and difficult things? Can we possibly reroute the signals in our brain to realize God has us here because he loves us and he wants something more for us? I think it's what he, what he does. 
because he doesn't, he doesn't discipline us like our earthly fathers did who did it imperfectly and they did their best, but they still did it imperfectly. He has a perfect plan for us and he perfectly loves us and so he's going to walk us towards him to walk in relationship with him in a perfect way if we can just trust him and stop fighting him every step of the way. My question for you and me and for all of us is, are you still seeing in black and white when God is trying to give you ultra high def 4K color? You're still seeing in black and white when God wants you to see so much more. Would you stand? <clears throat> Worship team is going to come. We'll invite you forward to come get the elements of, for communion during this song. But as they're coming, I just want to offer a prayer for me and for us together. Would you bow your heads? Father, we have prayed earlier this morning that by the power of your Spirit alive and active and at work in this place and the hearts of those who believe, that you would open the eyes of our heart to know and understand and experience more of your truth. I know that has happened for us this morning. Maybe different levels, different experiences, different places all along the spectrum, but we know that you have opened our eyes. Father, now that we see a little more clearly, I pray that you allow that vision to affect the way that we live from this point forward, that, that we wouldn't do as we're so used to doing, that even though we can see a little bit of color, we kind of prefer the black and white, and so we'll just go back to that. Father, I pray that now that you've shown us a little bit more, that you would help us to live our lives accordingly. Father, help us to, out of a heart that is full and overflowing of God's love, to respond in worship. Help us to humble ourselves before you and to, to kneel before the Lord, our maker, and to, to understand that, that it is because of him that we have worth, that it is because of him that we have existence, it's because of them that we have life and breath and because he has given us everything, he deserves our praise. And because he has given us everything, he seeks only for our good. He is only working things out for our good. He's not trying to harm us in any of these things, but he seeks our good in all of them. Help us to know that truth deep in our hearts so that those of us who are gathered here this morning that are walking through a trial, that are walking through some kind of hardship, that are walking through a valley, walking through a struggle, that they and that we together might be able to see that it is through the struggle, through the valley, that you are showing us your love. That you love us too much to just let us go on in ways that are harmful or, or, or disastrous for us, and that you are going to do what you can to lead us into the path of righteousness. Father, help us to, to gain a new perspective on what we're walking through this morning, to gain a new way of seeing things, not our way, not looking as the one who was in the story, but being able to look from your point of view, from the one who's outside of the story and be able to see things from your vantage point and be able to see just a glimpse that you are, you are for us, you are not against us. And if God is for us, who could be against us? 
Father, I pray that you give us grace. I pray that you give us vulnerability to be able to share in our struggles with those around us. And as we walk through these struggles and we start to have these doubts that arise that, that maybe God isn't who he says he is, that you would put us in relationship and in community with someone that we can share that deep struggle with that will help us understand it in the context of your perspective. But Father, in all of these things, I just I pray that you would turn our hearts and our minds away from the things that take us off of focusing on you and put all of our attention on you and your love that you've poured out for us. Put all of our attention on Christ who poured himself out for us that, that we would not have to pay the price that we deserve to pay for our sins, but that he paid it, that, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be able to become the righteousness of God, that, that we understand that, that you have poured out such a great love. And Father, I pray that our hearts and our minds would respond with worship, that, that we would respond that out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth would speak the praise of God, and that over the overflow of our hearts, our, our mouth would sing the praises of God, and out of the overflow of our hearts, our lives would live like Jesus Christ lived, and that we would, from this point forward, be committed and dedicated to to taking out those things that aren't like you and allowing you to speak the truth into our lives so that we may look more like your son, Jesus Christ. We know this is what you desire for us, Father. Help us be able to see it and to see that you're doing it because you love us. In Jesus' name.